Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we actually grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief, death, pain and agony, but with comedians. So it's not that depressing, I promise. It's bleak, but you'll laugh as well, which for me is a perfect night in. Each week on Griefcast, I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone special that they had lost along the way. It's not easy to talk about death, but it does help if you've chosen a career designed to hide your true feelings about anything emotional. Whether it was long ago or you've just lost someone, Griefcast is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This week, I'm talking to writer, actor and improviser Kaylee Llewellyn. Kaylee is a brilliant writer who won the BAFTA Rockcliffe Award in 2012 and since then has written on Stella, Hospital People, Casualty and Here Be Dragons. She also wrote and starred in the award-winning short film Obi Joyful and was one of Broadcast's Hot Shots for 2016. She's basically an extremely talented and up-and-coming gal about town. She's also a brilliant improviser, which is how I met her many years ago. Kaylee had what I would describe as a total shitstorm of a year, which, as you will hear, she dealt with with unbelievable courage. Hello and welcome to Griefcast. Today I am with writer, performer, improviser, all around great Welsh lady, Kaylee Llewellyn. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Kaylee. I, I am slipping into a Welsh accent already. You're going to do it the whole way through, I can't help it, is what I, I talk like to you. I like it. <laughs> Makes me feel like I'm home. I don't think other people Welsh like it when I do my fake. It's not, I'm half Welsh. It doesn't sound fake. Oh, that's what I like to hear. Do you know what, though? I am an awful mimic. Like Same. I don't mean to be rude, but I, I, I imitate what I yeah. hear back at people poorly often. But people don't like it. They don't. They get really arsy, don't they? But you're the only person I know who I can... I. Easily slip into Welsh with you, and you don't mind. I love it. I feel you a little bit going on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a little bit. Yeah. I was once on a coach on holiday, and there were all these girls from Birmingham, and I accidentally just went into Birmingham, and she was like, "I've got to think of Birmingham now." Doing Welsh, Birmingham. She's like, "You taking the piss? Are you taking the piss?" And I was like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> you carried on I doing was like, it. No. I had to really then think. No, I'm not. No, no. What's the matter? I had to really go. You're from London. Stop it. Yeah. It's hard though, isn't it? It's just. We're natural performers, you know? <laughs> it's in our blood, isn't it? Because I don't find it offensive. I don't think other people will, but... but you take... see their eyes and their face change. <laughs> take me to Cardiff and see what happens, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they'll just think that you're one of them because you have got very good Welsh accent. Oh, they right. wouldn't know that they're being mimics. Is it good Cardiff? Does it sound like Cardiff? Depends which part. Oh. If it's the part where my family are from, which is the rough part, I'd be like, ah, la, la. yeah, we're from Cardiff. Cardiff? Like yeah, that. it's like, disgusting. Like, their voice sounds like they're beating you up with it. <laughs> but then there's other nicer areas of Cardiff where it's more like you It's speak. more like this. Yeah, because mm-hmm. this is what my gran- my grandparents sounded like. But that's, as we know, yeah. bridge end. That's a nice sort of valley. Well, it was nice. Not nice anymore, Bridgend, is it? (laughs) No. No offence, everybody in Bridgend. (laughs) But it used to be a tiny village with one sweet shop. It's changed. It's changed. Anyway, enough Welshers. So who are we remembering today? Although I know that's an awkward question. (laughs) Um, So, well, there's actually six people. Six Um, people. Yeah, I had sort of one particularly bananas year of loss. Yes, there's six different people. Is it helpful... To just literally go through what happened, like to very basically unemotionally go through those those six people. Yeah. So basically, there was a three hundred and fifty-five day period exactly of loss, um, and it began with my father, Kevin Llewellyn, um, which was the fifteenth of April, two thousand fifteen, um, and then it was my grandfather, John Mogford, uh, which was the twenty-fifth of June, two thousand fifteen. And then it was my grandmother, Marjorie Mogford. That was the 23rd of January, 2016. And then two days later, on the 25th of January, 2016, it was my nephew, Travis Morgan Beams. Um, and then a few weeks after that, on March the 12th, so that, that's the anniversary tomorrow, actually, Travis's mum, Lynette, uh, she passed away. And then April 5th, 2016, was my brother, Damon Llewellyn. Like, I can't... I'm, I was... I know you, and I was friends with you when that happened. 
But even when you say it now, it's still shocking to me, like yeah. that you went through that much. Because obviously, with this podcast, we talked to her, and it's one person, and that's so painful to have to go through like that many rounds of being smacked in the face with grief. Like mm-hmm. I still, I still feel shocked for you. Like I still yeah. think. Like, what did? How did you feel after they just kept coming? Did you have a moment where it became numb? Like you just like I can't, I can't process this anymore. For sure, I was actually just on the way here. I was, I, I sort of throughout that whole period, which is obviously very difficult. And I'm a writer anyway, so I guess that's my go-to way of dealing with things. And so I just kept writing things down as it was happening, and I felt overwhelmed. And so on the way here, I was like, oh, let me read some of that stuff and remember in more sort of technicolor. Yeah, and, I, and one of the things from the night my nephew died, I, I, I had written down the events as they happened just to get it out of my head because I couldn't stop thinking about it. And one of it was that my friends were ringing my phone, and I... I all I could say was, it's horrific, it's horrific. Mm. And I, I remember that now, it's sort of, the detail had sort of fallen out of my head, but rereading it, th- there was just no other way to, to to process it. It was just horrific. And numbness to that night in particular, th- with the other five deaths, A, they were all older than me. Yeah. You don't necessarily expect your brother to die or your, or your dad to die, you know, when you're y- as young as I am. But they all had cancer and there'd been a point in my brain of in some way being able to process it's going to happen. Yeah. Where my nephew, he was the only one that was, you know, entirely out of the blue. He had an asthma attack. Um, and how old was he? He was 12. He t- he was 12, and 12 years and two months. Um. And that night, again, just reading back the notes that I'd written down from that night, that's the only time I've ever understood what people mean when they say you go numb from shock. Mm. I felt shock before, but that night, sort of a few hours in, I remember sort of taking myself out of the hospital and and going to the toilet and realising that I was like, you could have cut me and I wouldn't have felt it kind of numb. Like, Like I'd taken drugs, like MDMA or ecstasy or something. I couldn't even... Um, like un- undo the fly on my jeans to go to the toilet, and I was like, oh, oh my god! Um, and googling afterwards, I read that you know it happens. It's your body's, it, it, your body literally floods itself with chemicals to just wow. try and protect you from what's happened. And the only other time that's happened to me is the day of uh, my nephew's funeral, which was again, you know, horrific. But yeah, it's that you you could have sliced my arm and I wouldn't have yeah. felt it. It was utterly bizarre. Um, so yeah, I think that time. They're extremes of numbness, but around that time, just sort of feeling like I was oscillating between horror and not feeling much. It's, well, how it's how bizarre. could you even process? And obviously, like, I've dealt with several deaths, but not in that kind of... It seemed to me like they just kept coming. Like you said, you had, like, this just under a year of, like, bang, bang, bang. And when I had it, it was, like, my dad, my grandpa, and then slightly removed great aunts who had been very close and it was it was just like a lot of family members and another and then another aunt it was but they were it, my dad and my grandpa were the hardcore ones in the same year so my dad died in the my dad died in April and my grandpa was dead in the December right and that so that was like a whole year where it felt like my life fell apart yeah because it was just like my world up until that point had been like my dad my grandpa lives down the road and we're all his family and it was yeah. like boom boom gone gone I guess as a writer, if you were writing that in a story, you'd be like, it's too much. <laughs> yeah. It's too much for that character that yeah, she lost all those No people. one will believe it. Yeah. No one will believe, like, and then that, and then that, you know, and then her brother, like, that's too much. It's just... Yeah. Did you ever feel just like, you? why me? Did you, you must, did you have an anger about 
how that how much you were having to deal with that's sort of a rabbit hole i try not to go down actually cuz i mean look i've i've got a little bit of um distance now not much but a little bit of distance from it but certainly at the time i i don't know you know when there's sort of like uh an elephant in the room that you're, you as you just have to stop your brain from yeah, looking at. Yeah. Because if you, if I fell down that rabbit hole of, this isn't fair, why me? Why don't I get to have anything? Yeah, I don't think I'd have pulled myself back out of it anytime soon. And actually, I as a person, I've always been a bit, men to make do. Okay, well, let's yeah. carry on. This is what we've got to work with. It's survival instinct. Yeah. And it does make sense. And I think, especially with grief... Some people find it incredibly, incredibly difficult to cope with, and other people, there is something that kicks in that goes, "Okay, this is what's happening. Yeah, we're just gonna have to deal with it. We're like, still breathing. We're, yeah. we're surviving." Uh, and I think too, with this, like, you know, death is horrific. But if you want to stop and losing someone is horrific. But if you want to stop and think about the other people who are worse off than you, there will always be someone. Yeah. And so you know, this like why me mentality. It's like, well, why not you? Mm. Yeah. We are all just bags of meat existing on this planet, and there are people who are far worse. There are people who are going to have it, have it easier. There's no rhyme or reason to it. You you can feel sorry for yourself, and I have felt sorry for myself many occasions, but it doesn't change anything. No. So I always just think, well, crack on then. <laughs> just crack on. Just let's get going. On. You do sometimes need the why me. It's important to be like, this is shit. Yeah. You do sometimes need those five minutes of going, this is fucking awful. Absolutely. The times when you're just like, well, I'm not getting out of bed today. That's yeah. that. Um, that's my therapist sort of had a few months ago charged me with that challenge of like, stop running away. Mm. When that why me notion comes over you, sit in it. And she's like, you don't have to sit in it all day, but try it. Do it for one hour. Yeah. And then you're allowed to get up and go out. So I was like, oh God, okay. <laughs> I always think too, it's not nice to feel sad Mm. it's not nice to cry and um again refer to it as a rabbit hole it's not nice falling down that rabbit hole you feel awful for an hour so i'm the kind of person who like it's okay well let's uh pull up up my bootstraps let's go for a run let's uh go to improv class let's do something i think it's interesting having to talk to people who work in comedy with death because i'm exactly the same and my therapist says exactly the same she's like what are you so afraid of? Like, I'm afraid that I'll never stop feeling that way. Yeah. I'm afraid it'll take over my face and I'll die being unhappy. I'll open the lid and I'll yeah. never get it yeah. back on. Yeah. And I think that's the people who, who work or in doing comedy. It's like, this is a way to distract, make us feel better. Yeah. Like, my mum always says, like, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So mm. my family my family motto is like, well, let's just, let's just have a laugh, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Which does sometimes mean you miss those moments of, just like she said, just sitting in it for a bit. And Let seeing it out. that it, it doesn't overwhelm you. Because you have a personality that does get on with it, you will get on with it. Mm, yeah. It's important to hold both, I think, yeah. and, and acknowledge, allow yourself to let those emotions and chemicals out of your body. Because, yeah. like, crying releases chemicals. Oh, God, it's so good. So it's it's important to let yourself cry when you want to. But I think that was definitely something for me, too. Around all of the deaths happening, obviously my close friends knew what was going on, but lots of people didn't know, and I think are still sort of slightly surprised when they find out. And kind of the the reasons for that one was that you know you you don't want to walk up to people who who are just your mate that you see at a comedy night and be like by the way all these people died and suck every piece of fun out of the room (laughs) and make everyone feel awkward you you don't want to be that person I don't want to I I never wanted to be that person that like you feel like there'll be a period of time where everyone's like oh my god it's so awful what happened to her Let's everybody try and help her. And then in my head, I thought there'll be a tipping point there where people are like, oh, here comes sad old Llewellyn bringing her tears and a <laughs> oh, sack of death God. behind her. 
<laughs> oh, quick! Someone change the channel. Like, there she anyone would ever do that to you? I know, but you feel that. I, that's how I felt anyway. But so that was one of the reasons I didn't always want to bring it up. But the other one was like, I wanted normality. Yeah, I wanted to forget what was happening to me. I wanted a chance to laugh. I wanted a chance to be at the pub and have a drink and crack some jokes and be with my friends. And there was so much concern in my head what people would think of me if they knew I'd been through so many deaths and they saw me laughing at the pub. Mm. In my head, I was like, they'll think I'm cold. They think I don't care about people. They'll think I'm heartless. They'll think I'm crazy. And it's so funny that, you know, you can be going through a, a time of such extreme loss like that and my concern is still what other people will think of me. It's hard not to, like drop that isn't it yeah it's hard not to drop that but i do i think the only people who think that are people who don't get it Mm -hmm. when you've been through something so extreme you just want normal yeah so that you because it must be so overwhelming so overwhelming for sure and and like i i remember times too that there would be some i'd run into some people who were sort of aware of all the losses i've been through and again we'd be at a pub or a comedy night and i'd just be like on the stairs quickly nipping to the loo and someone would be like oh my god how are you and I just be like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, thanks, I'm okay. You know, like, let's yeah. just crack on. And they they want their moment with you. Yeah. So they sort of take your hand and they're like, no, but this is awful, how are you? And I'm like, do you want me to weep on the stairs of this pub? <laughs> Will it make you feel good if I sob right now? Yeah. Or can you just let me go buy the beer that I wanted to buy <laughs> and just trust that we'll talk about it another time, please? That's, like, you know, it's like a time yeah. and a place. I don't want to do it here, please. Don't make me do it. That's really interesting, isn't it? Like, they want their moment. I yeah. definitely know that feeling of being like, uh, you want you want to feel you had it. and I've done it to other people because you mm. feel like but I, I really want you to know I care so much yeah. and I, I'm afraid I won't get both sides are really tricky what would you have wanted people to do? on the whole you know talking about like finding things to be happy about like my, my friends were incredible mm. um, and I I got everything I needed really but I think I think you and I discussed this after my dad died God, those glory days when I was only one death in. How young and innocent I was. Um, and you and I chatted one night about it. You were my go-to grief girl, obviously. I remember you saying something about how it was helpful when people didn't ask anything of you. Yeah. When yeah. they would just sort of like do the thing, yeah. not ask you what you need. And yeah, and I definitely remember that being something that was helpful to me, S- certainly in the aftermath of losing my grandmother and my nephew in that two-day period when I was just, you know... I I felt like I just had no ability to to do anything Mm. anymore, to focus or to to decide what I want or to make decisions or anything. And my friends who would just sort of text me and say, I love you, I'm thinking of you. It was so appreciated because I didn't need to reply. Yeah. But then when every now and then I get a text, be like, sorry, do you want me to come to Wales to visit you? And if I do come, like, should I come pick you up and I can take you for dinner? And and there's already too many questions here. Thank you for the thought, but I, I genuinely can't comprehend what I need from you I think that's it isn't it it's weirdly like I guess advice for people it's like you need to have the confidence to just do something yeah and I think sometimes people of course understandably they're like oh I'll check with my friend as if in a normal situation I'd be like Kaylee do you want to go for dinner and you go "Mm, no I'm okay but it's like it's not normal Mm. like you said your brain isn't working things have shut down chemicals are going on you just need someone to go hi I bought you dinner it's here on a plate yeah and you go oh okay okay, got our leader (laughs) and it's it's you can't underestimate what it means to like every time I glanced at my phone and I had you know scores of messages from my friends and they simply read I love you I'm thinking of you I love you I'm thinking of you and it feels like a hand has reached out and it's on your shoulder for a second. And it goes, 
you know, you're loved. There's there's people yeah. and it feels good. Or like, I remember being at home and I hadn't brought any of my like gym kit or anything because I didn't know. I, I went home for my nan's because my nana just died and I didn't know that obviously my nephew's going to die and I'd be yeah. staying a lot longer. And exercise had become my sanity. Uh, and I remember just sort of saying to one of my friends, oh, I, I don't have my ch- trainers, I don't have my kit, how am I going to exercise? And like two hours later, I opened the front door and there was just a Sports Direct carrier bag there with full gym kit and trainers. Oh, my God. And uh, that was Matthew, um, my best friend. He'd been to buy it. And that those things just meant the world. Or like my friends, I get a text one night just being like, we're all in Wales. We've come down from London. You don't need to see us, but we're nearby. We'll be here for a couple of days. If you want to see us, send a message. And it just meant everything. I didn't have to say, yeah, come down from London. Yeah, where should you stay? Yeah, maybe I'll see you on this night. We're just here if you want us call. And those things, they meant everything. Because you feel like you're falling Mm. and knowing that someone is there. You know, they're just there to brush past you as you fall past them. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So you go, somebody is there. And just to sit that 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 the the night that my nephew died, I just again glanced at my phone and, and Matthew had said, right, I'm I'm on my way back to Cardiff, and I my I my memory of that night is just sort of like fragments of flashes of memory of of, of memories of you know little snapshots of the night, and one of them is end of the night sat on my auntie's sofa with Matthew sat beside me and just staring at a wall, and mm. him staring at it too, and it was awful, but. I wasn't alone. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, yeah. But those things mean so much. That's the thing is, you, it's not being alone. Yeah. And someone just sitting silently with you, doing what you're doing. Yeah, just <laughs> staring. Is the most. That's incredible. Like that. Yeah. Just that's that's friendship. That's support. And when people say, oh, "Like, oh, I don't know what to do," it's like you just need to just be. I often when people say what for advice, I'm like, just be there. Just literally be there. Yeah. If it means just standing very still in the same room that's it then they're not alone they're not when you've hit that rock bottom there's somebody next to you and I think or the text messages that say I love you that all those things that make you go oh you know what I might not kill myself <laughs> maybe I won't <laughs> I'll kill keep myself. breathing today yeah, yeah because you do just feel like well, what's there is so much what's the point well what's the point when things are taken from you yeah. like that oh God, I mean you really did have a shit run of it because those deaths anyway and also I should say to people who don't know you were extremely close to your grandparents they sort yeah. of your grandma had raised you really Is yeah I spent, I spent sort of I had such a broken and fractured upbringing with my parents so I spent so many times so many long periods of time staying with my grandparents and then in the last few years sort of helping to they both had cancer and helping to care for them both yeah, they were kind of my safe space. Because yeah. I tell you, you know, when people go, oh, grandparents, it's like, it wasn't just like, oh, then no. your grandma. It was like, these were extremely... They were my people. Yeah. They, they were, were my everything, things. yeah. yeah. Did you feel... So you had your dad, then your... Grandfather. Grandfather, and then your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like when you sort of... I know you're extremely close to your grandma, so when that happened, like, did it, did it knock the others out slightly? Do you think, like, well, I can't even process how I feel about my dad now because now I'm grieving this. Well, um, or did it all just combine into one giant... I think, actually, what happened was sort of... Because my, my grandmother had had lung cancer and she'd been diagnosed with it, I think, actually, like, seven years before she ended up passing away. and we, So we, we'd initially been told it, she won't have long and then she just kept living but it meant that you spent that whole time sort of on red alert well like this year we won't have another Christmas and then you do and so I think in my mind because my grandmother had always been when I when I think back she's the thing that 
anchors my whole past is this woman that made me feel safe and happy and loved um, and who meant so much to me. And, and I, when she was first diagnosed with cancer, I was like, well, it, I, I won't survive without my nan. She's my everything. And then as the years go on, your brain and your body just starts to adjust to the concept of a reality mm. where they won't be there. And I think I had started to put my hopes for the future on my nephew. Mm. Well, I'm going to lose my grandmother, but there's going to be this little boy who anchors my future. That's what I'll oscillate around. That's who I'll um, take care of. And I'll shower with love in the way my grandmother yeah. showered me with love. And so losing her... You know, I had sort of a day to process and, and think how how is this possible that there's a world where Margie doesn't exist and then Travis died and that blew everything away. Like, I, I, I still don't know if I fully grieve for my grandmother because suddenly everything's in stark context. You know, m- my grandmother, had, we have this huge family. She had six kids and 20-something grandkids and, like, 16 great-grandkids. She's got a couple of great-great-grandkids. Wow. And we all worshipped her. She was our queen. And so losing her, we had a day of us all being like, well, the glue's gone. We're spinning around out of control. And then Travis died and we suddenly all went, oh, she was 82. Yeah. She had a full life. All these people worshipped her. She has all these memories, all these experiences she got to live. And then you lose a child and you just go, well, no. He was 12. He didn't get anything. And you, you can't grieve really anymore mm. for, the, for that person. Because something's come along that stamps all over it. I had, I mean, not, well, how do you judge these things? Having experienced a lot of death of older, I mean, my dad was 44, so that, you know, is youngish. And then I think a couple of years ago, a friend lost a son who was in his 20s, I think. So still, you know, when, we, when you do the scale of mm. <laughs> how long you got to be on the earth. <laughs> and that was the first time I encountered a grief I didn't, I didn't know what to do with. Having yeah. grown up with all this and been the go-to grief girl... I found myself extremely uncomfortable and overwhelmed at his funeral because it was just, yeah, I suddenly was like, oh, the loss of youth is completely, it's just, yeah. And I found that very difficult to deal with as someone who's like, oh, I can talk about anything with death. Death's no problem for me. I've grown up with it. I've been around it all the time. It was really shocking to see, to yeah, so I can't imagine, like, the, you know, I can see completely how you said the loss of a 12-year-old boy suddenly just makes yeah. everything go... Well, you know what? <laughs> they made it this far. They they had got this. They had kids, yeah, or they'd they done got to this. Live. Mm-hmm. I, it it puts everything into perspective, I think. And but it also, you know, it shakes your your very concept of um, your own life and your mortality. And because older people die, and you know that cancer exists, and yeah. that sometimes that comes around. But when it's a child, and when it's a, you know, it was a, such an unavoidable death. Like I said, he had an asthma attack. We live in Britain why should someone die of an asthma attack? But, you know, I then realised that actually it happens. It's quite quite common. But it was something as simple as he didn't have his pumps on him. He was at home on his own. His mum was out. I was 100 yards away at the time with no idea, planning to call him to take him to TGI Fridays in a couple of hours' time for dinner. And you just realised, well, had I called him 10 minutes earlier? My, my grandmother had asthma... Um, so we had a nebulizer at the house. The thing that at the point his asthma attack had gone past yeah. where an asthma pump might have saved him, the nebulizer would have saved him. And you just, I, was, I was around the corner and I had no idea. And so I know when, when, whenever people go through death, it's, it's like a natural process that your brain tries to think about every other alternative. Well, what if I'd done that? What if I'd done yeah. that? And with him, 
so many things would have saved him. Whereas with my with the other deaths in my family, the other five, it was cancer. It was terminal. Like yeah. none of them were coming back. But with him, every single element, it was it was a a useless death. You know. I think as writers, I get very comforted by like narratives. So there's a narrative in old le- old person has cancer. They survive for a bit longer. They part like there's a sadness to it, but it's a logic, isn't mm. it? And I think that's the thing with young deaths. It, it's an unhel- unsatisfying narrative. Like you're like, it's not okay. You're like, no, 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 yeah. that's not okay. That's not okay. I don't want that story. Even with my dad, I was like, you know, when I tell people he's 44, they're like, oh, he's so young. You think, yeah, what? But also, it also isn't at the same time. He's still, you know, he got to 44. He had two kids. He was married. He mm. lived like. It's very anger-making. I feel angry talking about it. I yeah. feel like it's j- you want to scream, it's not fair. You want to just ball your hands up and be like, no, yeah. how how have you... You shouldn't feel guilty, but I have, of course imagine you mm. you are tortured. Have you been torturing yourself? Have you come to terms with that? Or I No, I don't, I don't feel guilt now in the way that I did, you know, in the immediate aftermath. Um, but it's tricky. I think... <sighs> It takes a bit of time, and in my case, it takes a bit of therapy. I think, I think everybody would need after what you've been through. Yeah. <laughs> like, that would be mandatory. You want to have a little chat with someone. Yeah, I actually think I felt less guilt with Travis than I did with my father. Okay, because with Travis, I at least knew that my nephew, I worshipped him. He knew it. Mm. I did what I could to, you know, be a good aunt and and look after him. And so there's there's guilt around like. The day that it happened. Yeah. Could I have done this? Could I have done that? But as a person, he died knowing he had me. And my sister Becky, you know, he had two aunties who loved every hair on his body. You know, we worshipped him. But with my dad, who was a very difficult man and who I had a difficult relationship with, there was a lot more guilt around that because he was like, you know, abusive, alcoholic, very violent. I It feels bad to say he was an awful man. Mm. But when someone dies, you suddenly there's rose tinted glasses and they're and they're brilliant but you know it's been a couple of years now and I can sort of look it in the face and go no he was still awful he's dead now but he was still awful I wasn't in touch with him because at the point when I moved to London I sort of swore to myself I will not speak to this man again you will not make me scared again you will not I'll not live in fear ever again because of you and so that's the decision I made and I'd been here for sort of eight years and then found out that he was sick um, at Christmas, so that would have been Christmas 2014, that he had cancer and that it was going to be terminal, but that they thought he had, like, a year or something. And so I remember going through this, like, really self-indulgent period of being like, well, should I speak to him? Because, you know, does he deserve it? It's it's the bed he made, the 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 hurt he's caused my family, you know, whatever. And I remember having a few conversations with my friends, being like, well, if I speak to him, then... That'll make him feel like he didn't do anything wrong. But if I don't speak to him, then am I being a bad person? Whatever. It's just so self-indulgent. I realize now looking back like that it's I thought I had all the time in the world. I don't know if it's self. I think that's harsh. I think it's like, again, it's like, how can you explain to someone who hasn't been through six deaths? Like, like if if I had gone back to that Kaylee and tried to explain, tried to say from the future, hey, like you got to do it, you would have been like, I still can't comprehend what those feelings are. Yeah, that, that's so true. Until actually, yeah. you've been through it, and you know this from talking to people who haven't lost 
loads of people or haven't mm. lost parents or something like that and they go oh oh yeah I'd be sad and you think you have no idea <laughs> what sadness is like you haven't felt it yeah they yeah. haven't and the, yeah. and so of course if you haven't experienced it how can how can you so mm-hmm. I think self-indulgent is like you didn't know yeah yeah so I'm, I'm being harsh on myself there but I think it's that that you think you in any way control how death is going to go yeah. death controls you so even though like we'd been told that he had like six months left we were wrong but I, it was so funny that uh, and funny, I mean, you know, yes. not funny, ha ha. <laughs> um, in the lead up to him uh, actually passing away, I remember there was like a, uh, the week before he died, and obviously I don't know the death is coming. I was doing a wee, and my phone rang, and it said Kev calling. And I looked, Kev being my dad, and, and me saving him in my, in my phone as Kev as some form of, <laughs> fuck you, man, not saving you as dad. And I remember looking at the call and being like, should I answer, should I answer, should I answer? And I cancelled the call. And that was that. And then a week went by and it was his 60th birthday. And, oh, God, I'll always just remember this moment. I was uh, It was sunny. And so me and Matthew decided to go to Shoreditch House. And we were in our bathers, which just feels so, like, disrespectful. <laughs> like, in our bathers, or swimsuit, as, as uh, English people say, um, sat next to the pool. I was reading Hillary Rodham Clinton's memoir. Just being a great man. Just having a great time, living my best life. And... I, I opened Facebook and I saw a photo that my sister had uploaded of my dad and he looked awful. And I turned the phone to Matt and was like, I've got to go home. What have I been doing? Mm. Saying that I'm not going to visit him. I've got to go home. And Matt was like, okay. So I'm going to go on the weekend. I'll ask my sister if she'll come with me. I'll go and see him. And then an hour later, the phone rang and he died. Oh, my God. And, you know, we, we were told we'd had six months, a year, whatever. And the idea that I thought, you know, death would would go along a timeline it doesn't but that guilt that he died not knowing that I'd made that decision yeah and and the moment I made the decision in my head I was like I was always going yeah I was just entertaining this notion that I might of course I was going to go but you know that affected me for such a long time because like I say he was a difficult man and he was also a very vindictive and malicious man and what he would have done is not gone to, to see his parents. Mm. He'd have been like, I'm not seeing them. They can die. I don't care. And I was like, oh, well, I'm him. That person that I spent my whole life trying not to be, mm. I just lowered myself to his standards. I did something unkind. That's how I felt at the time. And it it really shook me for months, actually, that I felt like, okay, well, I'm... I thought I was such a good person, and I guess I'm not. That's so harsh. Yeah. It's so harsh on you, because... Of course, like, the relationship you have with him, of course you're not going to go, what, you're ill? I'm coming now. <laughs> like, I'm nearby, I love you. Like, Florence Nightingale yeah. swooping down. It, yeah. It's, I mean, I had a complicated relationship with my dad, not, obviously, not in the same level. It's hard. And mm. I think that's something, if you haven't experienced it, someone dying doesn't stop someone being, having been a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take away the difficulties that you had or that they were really mean or they'd done stuff that had upset like it doesn't magic that way because they're dead mm-hmm. and so and I guess as well maybe like the last time you had a relationship with him you were younger right yeah yeah so that um, similar to me because I was 15 so you kind of react you sound like you're reacting in that childlike way which, is uh, what, yeah, I think which so. I still do like if anything comes up about my dad I still act like a teenager but it's your frozen in time with mm-hmm. when you actually knew them so yeah that's true I'm not surprised that you sort of had a bit of a teenage wanted him to wait wanted him to know you were upset still and Mm -hmm. I feel very differently now than I did at the time but you know it it takes time and it takes working it out and but I think it's tricky when 
someone dies who you've not had a good relationship with, those mm. people that you loved and who know that they were loved by you, it's hard to lose those people. But ultimately, you, there's a piece in it. Yeah. I couldn't have done more, whatever, you know. But when you've had a difficult relationship with someone and you've got regrets, you know, big regrets yeah. about how you handled it, you, it's, you, you'll never find peace. Yeah. Like, I remember thinking that for months afterwards. I will never, ever be able to change what I did. Yeah. God. You know? And it's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. But you do eventually. Yeah. And you sort of learn to go, well, hang on, no. Yeah, there's reasons. He still has blame. Yeah, yeah. He might be gone, but he still bears some blame. But that's, it's it's funny too, you know, going to his funeral. My dad was a hell's angel back in the day. I, he, I, really <laughs> incredible, incredible. Okay, yeah. Um, he, yeah, he was in a, a hell's angels group called the Wild Welshman. So my eldest brother, Damon, his his middle name was Harley Davidson. Damon Harley <laughs> Davidson. Trailing. But yeah, so the day of my dad's funeral, there was like a procession of motorbikes. Wow. And they brought our whole uh, town to a standstill. And we'd been asked, the, the sort of children of Kev Llewellyn, the legend that, that was, would we be would we ride on the back of some motorbikes and follow? My dad was also a rag and bone man. Because, um, I mean, when are you going to write the movie? I know. <laughs> and he had this like rag and bone truck that growing up was the source of all my embarrassment. I was head girl of the local comprehensive and my dad was driving around the town with a rag and bone truck with like a stolen McDonald's M. <laughs> the golden M on the back of the truck like, all right, Kale, like, get away, head girl. <laughs> Keep driving. <laughs> so, yeah, so we had to, he put the coffin. He didn't. He was in the coffin. Someone else put the coffin on the back of the rag and bone truck, and we were going to follow it in this procession. And we thought there'd be, like, five bikes. And, you know, I arrived, there's five bikes we climb on, and then we turned the corner, and there was a sea of, like, a 100 motorbikes. And these Hells Angels had come from all different areas of Wales to pay their respects to the passing of the of the legend. Yeah, and, and the, like... All of the traffic was at a standstill. And I was sat on the back of the bike like, even in my grief, this is bananas. <laughs> this is so mad I'm that in, I'm doing this. I remember you telling me about this funeral. I mean, it, it sounds like the Welsh Film Council will fund this. Like, write yeah. this and fund it. Because I can already see, you know, the sea of mode bikes, they turn the corner. Yeah. Like the Welsh Melbourne voice choir starts singing. His coffin's on the back of a rag bow truck. Like, and he, I found it afterwards... He hadn't uh, been able to pass it, but what he tried to do, because he knew he was going to die, and he planned his own funeral, which, heads up for people who might plan on dying someday, it's really nice if you let people know what you want at your oh, funeral God, and what yeah. songs you want. Yeah, it definitely. takes a lot of beef off the plate. That's one good thing my dad did is he planned the whole thing. But he had tried to get hold of a joke coffin for reals from um, this like film set in Cardiff with a trap door in it. He wanted to arrange for his body to fall out of the coffin like as a gag. But it turned out that he couldn't pass it because the funeral home were like, no, all the coffins have to like pass certain, um, you know, they have to be like a certain kind of word and whatever. <laughs> um, it's just bananas. And then the, at the funeral, it was so busy that there was um, people who had to stand outside. They had screens up outside. They couldn't fit it in. All these people are getting up and being like, he was such a joker. He was the funniest guy in the room. Party started when Kev arrived. And I was sat in the front row with my family just looking around being like, what? Who are you talking about? Did I did I invent that he was kind of awful? And afterwards at the wake, all of his friends coming up to me being like, you and your dad, two peas in a pod. You're the, you're the comedian, right? Yeah, you get that from him. Funniest guy in the room. Oh, he was the best friend. He was always there for you. If you needed something, he was there. And just all these people coming up to me being like, you look like him. You're exactly like him. You've got his personality. You're funny like him. Everything you've got is because of him. And I'm just like, what? Who am I? What oh am I? Gosh. And it makes you like... 
readdress everything you thought was true about yourself. And I, and I started to doubt myself. I was like, did I invent the stuff that he did? But as the months went on and that sort of funeral sheen wore yeah. off, some of his friends would be like, oh, we knew things were going on. We know he was difficult behind closed doors. <laughs> Sorry we said you were exactly like him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, we have also remembered the other stuff he yeah. did. We all knew. But, you know, there's nothing like previous generations and a working yeah. class area to just be like, oh, but he was fun at the pub. We knew behind closed doors he could be a bit of a bugger, couldn't he? But at the pub he was fun. A um, bit of a bugger, inverted commas. <laughs> yeah. Like, made my life hell. Yeah. yeah. A, a bit of a bloody tyrant. That's an incredible experiment. But it's, it's crazy sitting through that experience and being like, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm the bastard. I guess I got it wrong. But again, you know, time and, and therapy. But that's, you readjust I, those emotions. I think the, even the... I mean, God, so that was two years ago. It'll be two years in April. Yeah, yeah. Like, even the way you're talking about it now, you're incredibly philosophical about it. Which I think it, like, credits to you that you have been able to walk through all these deaths and go to therapy and talk because that is it would crush other people it definitely would I mean again I don't want to compare because they're extremely different but I know I am similar to my dad and that sometimes really winds me up because that's in ways I don't want to be yeah and my brother as well is very similar and that's like almost like it's not an insult but like if I say to him you're being quite dad like that it's, it means like you do know aware of what right. tension you may be causing by doing this I guess what you have to do is you have to start looking at them as a person, not as a parent. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Cause you are really funny and you do have like that lovely way with your language. And maybe your dad did have that, but that doesn't mean he didn't have the other things. Obviously, and you start seeing someone as a completely whole person. Whereas I think yeah. when they're alive, you can only relate to them as your parent. Like, well, he was my dad and he did this and he wasn't, he wasn't there for me for this reason. Or I wasn't there. You know, you just have this parent child thing. Mm hmm. And then when they die, you're like, you have to kind of go, oh. Everything shifts, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I, I remember sort of going through after when he first died, feeling like, well, what's my purpose now? Because my life from very early on, you know, I, I have really distinct memories of the point as a child when I sort of went, no, I don't like you. Mm. I, I don't think I like what, what you're about. Um, and from that moment on, sort of living my life in a way of being... Um, my mindset being like, well, I will prove that I am better than you. I am different to you. You won't ruin me. Mm. You won't make me a product of you. I'm yeah. going to prove you wrong. And the moment he was gone, I was like, uh, well, so what am I doing now then? What, what's this race? I, I don't need, I, I just, it's like a hundred meter sprint that I was on that I suddenly just stopped. I was like, well, I don't need to run anymore. And going to see his body, it was the first time I'd been in a room with him in years. Wow. And this man, this sort of figure lying before me that I'd been, that had been the subject of all of my nightmares, really, mm. standing next to him and for the first time, me being bigger than him and alive and stronger than him. And I sort of realised, you know, I'm, I'm lo- looking at his face and, like, I've spent my life running from you and it was a waste of time because you're in me. You're 50% of my DNA. Mm. I can't run from myself. I have the exact same eyes as him. We both have like, his eyes were brown and his right eye had a green fleck. And my eyes are green and my right eye has a brown fleck in the exact same space. We have the same ears. We have the same hairline. And I'm looking at his face being like, what were you up to, mate? He's he's in you. You can't get away from him. He's there. You just sort of have to learn to acknowledge that, like you say, people are more than one thing. He yeah. wasn't just my father. Father, He wasn't just a bad man. He, it's it's okay that I have some of his qualities. Yeah, and also it's what you do with those qualities. Yeah, just because I'm yeah I have very similar stuff to my dad, but that doesn't mean I will behave the same way, 
or I will make the same decisions. But I always, I don't know if you have, I have this when people say like, oh, I hate my mum, I hate my dad, or I'm not talking to them. I think, again, I think the same, like, well, then you're not talking to half of yourself. Like, yeah. who are you kidding? You can't be like, or when people are like, I am nothing like them. You're like, of course you are. Yeah. How can you physically not be? Like, where did you think you came from? You will always, you will always have it. It's what you do with it mm-hmm. that will define you. Like you said, you can, you have made the choice to be kind, to be better than that. It's like at the start of Harry Potter, <laughs> yes. when they put the sorting hat on Harry's head and the sorting yeah, hat, like, well, yeah. you could be a Slytherin. You know, yes. you could do great things. And Harry's like, but I don't want to. And he chooses, he knows he's got those qualities, but he chooses to channel them into Gryffindor. And I feel like that's where we're at, you know? J.K. Rowling, our queen. <laughs> yeah, she gets it. Oh, God, Harry Potter, you made me think now. That's one of the, I remember that's one of the moments, <laughs> these strange moments where I felt the first time someone else expressed the pain. Do you remember there's a moment where Harry goes, to, there's the, the mirror that shows you what you want mm. to see? And of course, everyone, most people looking at it, they see themselves as famous and rich and powerful. And Harry's just standing next to his parents heartbreaking and when I read that I was like (gasps) and I remember thinking that's the first time I was like oh god she she gets what it means she's felt it she's in the club she knows she's in the club and I remember someone else being like oh yeah it was so sad I was like no it's not sad it's that is all you you know when you love someone and they've gone you just want to see them next to you for Mm -hmm. a second and that's the thing like you're talking about to go back like Matt sitting next to you on that sofa that's all you want is to have like to you know, feel that hand on your shoulder, feel that they're still there in some way. Something that grounds you, yeah. That's the thing. Oh, God, I mean, it's such a huge conversation, but your relationship with your parents, if you can find a way to be at peace with the things you have inherited, mm-hmm. because it doesn't mean you'll make the same choices, but it does mean you can slightly maybe understand their choices as well. Yes, that's, absolutely. I think going, that's part of growing up, isn't it? When yeah. you start to, when your brain starts to adjust to that concept and you stop just being petulant teenager, yeah. it's a big shift. Especially it's after strange. what you've been through with him. To him to then fucking die on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, you know, of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. It was like his final hand and he oh, got me. I know. Yeah. It's, do you know something though as well I, that surprised me around all of those deaths that might just be worth mentioning? Because I thought it was interesting. I started doing this thing. I'd never really suffered with anxiety until my dad died and then it struck. Whenever I would start to spin out and, and feel like my heart was racing and I couldn't get myself under control, I just had this like primal urge to be on barefoot on grass. Wow. And so, like, when I got the call to say my brother had died, without thinking, I was out the front door and I was at the park at the end of my road. It was April, it was freezing, and I was, like, walking up and down the grass barefoot with my socks off. And I would do this thing where I'd, like, place one hand on my heart and one hand on my head. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just breathing and holding myself like that, stood barefoot. And it made me feel better. I mentioned it to someone afterwards, uh, and they were like, yeah, that's the thing, it's called grounding. And it's, like you're connecting yourself to the earth because wow. I remember these feelings of like if I could feel actual earth on my feet yeah. it stopped feeling like I was the biggest thing and my loss was the biggest thing and suddenly I felt connected to the universe and you feel part of this like well the universe is ginormous and there's been billions of people before us and billions of people after us who will suffer these deaths and I guess I'm connected to all of this and it all makes sense uh, yeah and she's it's called grounding and it makes people feel better and I, I don't know how it works but um we have it in us, like, yeah. primarily. We don't need to be taught. There, your body knows what to do to help you survive. It floods you with chemicals. Yeah. It tells you to take yourself to grass and nature. And it knows how to get you through if you let, if you let it. It's really strange. That it, what, like we talked about right in the beginning, like, what kicks in? Mm. Like, what will just kick in? It will just get you through. 
and having just had a baby, <laughs> I could say the same. It's very strange, like life and death. Like your body kick, stuff kicks in. Right. It's like we got this. And really, a large amount of what happens is your head being like, oh, my God. And your body being like, shut up. Like you said, you, those weird primal things that just yeah. kick in and just surviving grief is about, like you said, allowing yourself to do it, not questioning. Because I think that's where people get in a lot of pain when they go, well, that would be mental. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just stay where I am, even, even though it's uncomfortable. It's like, And I used to say to people, go and find a wood and scream. Yeah. <laughs> like go and scream somewhere in a wood is quite good. Get a piece of wood, I used to always advise, for my experience. Get a piece of wood and bash another piece of wood. Being in nature and being, like, angry. Yeah. yeah, you have to kind of just let yourself do it. But it's very, it can be very overwhelming. I think that's, you're afraid it's going to take over and you will never stop screaming or mm-hmm. you'll never stop walking around without your shoes on. But you do. You do, Of course you do. Or you, or you don't, and that's probably okay too. But you mostly do. And I, I think nature is a big thing. Like, I've never known since, since those deaths... I can't explain to you what the sunset does to me. Oh, yeah. Like I, you know me. I'm not a wanky person. <laughs> not you're right? very down to earth. It's not my bag. But when I see the sunset, the joy that <laughs> bubbles up through my body and makes me feel like jubilant. And this, I think that's one of the good things that's come out of all of all of these losses and connecting to nature and things like that. That I now just I can look at the sky and I can look at the sunset and I can go, I am alive and I'm so grateful to be here and I'm so grateful for all that I've got. Yeah, and then I might wake up the next day and I'm pissed off again about something but I guarantee you when the sunset comes around I'm like we're here we did it we're here you guys and I didn't used to feel that kind of joy Yeah, I didn't feel pain and loss like I, f- I felt but I didn't feel joy like I feel now either it's like my spectrum of emotions has been broadened yeah definitely because you've been through such extreme pain where there is light there is dark like if you've ex- experienced extreme pain I do think you're more open to experiencing extreme joy mm. And again, you have to fuck, because again, I'm a very cynical person. And before my dad died, I was so, I was like fucking basing myself on Darlene from Roseanne. Like, was like, <laughs> and then you do start going, why was I laughing at the people who had joy? Like, yeah. how amazing that they knew, that they knew to appreciate things. And there was me going, this is shit, guys. And now I'm like, this is so great. We're all here. Both me and my husband have a habit of being extremely cheesy, but because he has had so many losses as well, of just yeah. going like, we're here. And that's enough. Like, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Just this. Yeah, just, this moment together and that yeah. we found each other and that we're alive and that we're breathing. And that also, you know, we do have so much to be grateful for. Yeah. We're white people who live in London <laughs> and we have money. Like, yeah, our life is significantly better than a lot of people around the world. Yeah. But again, it's that thing I think of the coping, the coping mechanism that you clearly have a very strong coping mechanism and it kicks in and protects you. And it's about what well, my therapist is always telling me. <laughs> Knowing when to turn off the coping mechanism mm-hmm. and to go, yep, you're privileged and you have a lot of good things, but it's okay to be sad. Like, yes. it's also all right to let that in, which is so hard. Because I think that, especially with what you've been through, that coping mechanism must have just been like, <laughs> like, full whack. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're in defense mode. And to be able to turn that down. It's tricky. My, uh, when I started having anxiety attacks, my therapist described it to me in a way that I hadn't heard before, before because I was like... I went through this period of like the tiniest thing would flip me over the edge. And she was saying that not that there is a normal amount of adrenaline in someone's body, but she was like, if you could say there was a normal amount and then say that's on the scale at this point and then 10 degrees above that is the point where you would flip into an anxiety attack. When you've been through an amount of grief, 
your body sort of remains in fight or flight mode yeah. for a long time. So you never sink back down to normal adrenaline. Yeah. You're always just below that point that would flip you into an anxiety attack because your body has been so attacked that for months, maybe even years, it's just waiting like, who's coming at me next? Yeah. Okay, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And so you've got this hair trigger. It only takes the tiniest thing to flip you there because all of your senses are primed and ready to protect you if they need to. And when she explained it that way, I was like, Oh. oh, yeah. Oh, I'm beating myself up less now that like I had an anxiety attack because I couldn't decide what I wanted to have for breakfast. Yeah. You know, makes sense. Your your body's ready to fight because it has been attacked. That that is what has happened. This is a horrible comparison <laughs> from what you've been through. <laughs> but Pasco, my friend, she read something that as performers, <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing it. But I'm going. I'm going for it. Performers have the same problem because you're going on stage every night, so your adrenaline right. is super, super high. So your adrenaline glands are like completely, which is why you know they're like a bit neurotic and a bit up. Like that. Kind every of, performer we know has yeah, anxiety. Yeah, yeah. We, they all have anxiety because your adrenaline is on constant. So your body is like, oh, we get attacked every night, not realizing. No, I'm choosing to do a gig. That every makes night. a lot of sense actually, because yeah. your body doesn't have an ability to like read. Yeah, it just knows that it feels. Yeah, it just knows panic. You, you get panicked. You were nervous. Yeah. Obviously, that's not no, but that makes your grief. That makes complete Kelly, sense. Doing a gig is just as hard. <laughs> I'll have you know, improv really takes you there. It can be really nervous. Actually, you know what? I've had some improv gigs that have felt almost as painful. <laughs> so it's not it's not untrue. So, so I think, Kaylee, you offer. A, I hope for people listening when we do this, you offer a lot of hope because you've been through something so so awful, and the way you've coped with it. And that doesn't take away, that doesn't mean your coping doesn't mean that you weren't sad or they didn't matter. It's just that there are ways of finding light through the most appalling situations. I just want to say thank you for talking about it. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, um, <laughs> I, I wish this podcast existed a year ago. Oh, yeah, I know. But well, I'm glad it's here now. Yeah, glad it's here now. See, we appreciate it now. It's <laughs> all right. There's good and bad to everything. Yeah. Thank you very much, Kaylee. Thank you. You can follow Kaylee on Twitter at KDLoo, and that's two L's because she Welsh. And you can see her perform improv with the committee, the cartel, or the ladies of FA County at various improv establishments about London town. Thank you for listening to Griefcast. I've been Cariad Lloyd. You can find me on Twitter at Lady Cariad, or you can tweet at The Griefcast or email me thegriefcast at gmail.com. Music is provided by The Glue Ensemble, and you can find them at thegluensemble.com. Thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.